Welcome to Living in This Queer Body, a podcast about barriers to embodiment and how our collective body stories can bring us back to ourselves. I am so glad to have you listening. This is our sixth episode, and it's a really lovely one. Before I get to the guest, though, I wanted to remind everyone the podcast launch party is happening June 8th from 7 to 9.30 at the Bureau for General Services Queer Division in Manhattan. You can find out much more on Instagram at Living in This Queer Body or on the Bureau's Facebook page. I'll also include um, a link to that invite on in the show notes. If you're in the area, please come. We're going to have an astrology reading for the podcast from none other than T. Lee, a Brooklyn-based tattoo artist and all-around badass, queer ritual, and several amazing performers. Thank you to everyone who's already RSVP'd, and I'm looking forward to setting queer intentions together. So if you want to find a way to celebrate from afar or you can't attend, here's what I suggest. Consider donating to my Patreon. As of this recording, we are in need of only 26 more $5 a month patrons to meet my goal to cover the monthly production costs. Doing this podcast takes time, and I urge you to consider becoming a patron in order to help me ensure that this podcast can be sustainably grounded. My hope is that it can serve as part of a queer archive, as well as an alive and ongoing conversation across our multifaceted queer communities. The link for my Patreon is on my website, and I'll also put it in the show notes. Thank you to everyone who has already donated. I truly appreciate it. And it's been really cool. Some people, especially shout out to my friend Eric, who I knew as an activist when we were very young college students. We've probably known each other since we were 18 or 19 years old. And it's really cool to have him come out and support this podcast through Patreon and to reconnect with him and to know that we're kind of all doing our work in our own ways and finding ways to support each other. So I think that's, it's been really cool. Um, As always, if you haven't already, please subscribe to the podcast on iTunes and rate and review it. A serious thank you goes out to all of those of you who have publicly reviewed the podcast or sent along supportive emails. I have been blown away by your enthusiasm and generosity of time and investment in the project. Keep those messages and reviews coming. They mean a lot to me and help me figure out what is resonating for all of you about this project. As always, if you'd like to work with me, you can find information about that on my website. I'm also hosting a Living in This Queer Body workshop in Brooklyn on June 26th, and there's information on Instagram and, as I said, my website. You can email me or DM me to sign up for the workshop. It's probably going to be happening once a month for a while, so try to sign up for this first one, and if you can't, uh, sign up for my newsletter and you'll get information about when I'm doing workshops and where and all of that info about working with me. Okay, so on to our guest. Atalanta and I had a really cool conversation about the role of plants in the natural world in shaping expressions of gender and sexuality, queer parenting, and a lot more. Atalanta is someone who is really interested in digging in deep in this conversation, which I loved. Atalanta is a white, disabled, gender-expansive queer parent. They work as a community activist and herbalist living rurally on unceded Mohican land in what is now so-called Western Massachusetts. Atalanta approaches plant medicine through healing justice work that holds values of accessibility and dynamics of navigating survival within a capitalist system. Atalanta brews herbals and dreams of creating medicine in an effort to support collective liberation in their interactions with the world around them. One of their deep loves is to frolic in wild places, whether that be cuddling moss under grand trees or laughing while stuck in swamps with their kids. You can find them at Blossoming Resistance on Instagram and blossoming-resistance.com. I'll have those links in the show notes. 
Thank you for listening, and on to my interview with Atalanta. I like to start each episode with the question, how did you learn at an early age that you had a body or what did you learn about being in a body? Anything, any stories or messages come to mind? I really love that question because I think it's a question I maybe didn't ask myself a lot during a lot of my, a big part of my life. I think for me, learning about like being in my body kind of had different aspects as a young person. I maybe didn't learn about the other pieces as much like consciously until things were all of a sudden felt like they were being taken away from me in a way. So at the beginning, if I reflect on that, I could think of like my young self feeling really connected to my body, but almost as like beyond my vessel, whether it be like through just being or having that feeling this connection like I was connected to other beings other ancestors other people in my life beyond my physical and mm-hmm. as well as like nature and feeling really I, I grew up like in outside of Boston but I was lucky I felt lucky to have access to like old farmlands and woods and I feel there like there was a lot of teaching for me that was done by the like, trees and the and the water um and so i feel like that those are my big teachers about like what my body loved and and like specifically for you know thinking about your podcast about queerness as well um mm. a lot of like make a feel enough maybe something to talk about later is just like a lot of queer identity through that connection to the wild world And then I can also kind of think of where like things shifted in a way. Um, Yeah, when I was around seven, I got Lyme disease and I remember how how it felt like really acutely when it was happening, but it was also like when I know a lot of people deal with not getting proper care now but there there has been a shifting so there is more care than there used to be um but again not to negate any other people's journeys of not getting care because I see that a lot but during that time afterwards I still actively had Lyme but it was ignored um a lot by you know when it'd be like aching you know be something that'd be like oh you're just imagining it and so like in within the medical world there was not a way for me to be have my body kind of like what was going on in my body be heard that was a really influential piece as well and then also kind of those other like social factors about body expectations or certain ways that maybe within school or other other aspects of my life that I my body is like the, how I felt in this like wild world and how I felt really expanded in that this wild world was not necessarily recognized. And I think I bring up those two things, those two factors as like chronic illness and, and also the, the social factors of like I'm being asked to perform in certain ways um, is, was important also in like learning and reflecting and like learning even the positive sides of how I connected with my body a lot to know that, when when I wasn't being heard around pain as a young child or things that didn't feel good for me, socially I didn't feel recognized, then it also showed me what I what did feel good. And so I am grateful for those moments, you know, um, because, it, you know, it was, it, it's a, it's like a hard journey to think about when, you know, young people aren't heard because I think that that's, you know, often young people aren't necessarily heard around what their bodies need or what they're feeling like they, like they don't know best. And so I feel that that was really influential to me in like learning, going back and learning about what, what really is my identity and how my body feels. And as well as how 
that influences my interactions and like recognizing and listening to other people and their bodies, especially young people. Could you, could you say a little bit about what you, I, I love this idea of how you're talking about revisiting or, you know, going back and re-remembering things that you knew and kind of got, sounds like, you know, weren't aspects of yourself that weren't really nurtured or a particular part of your voice around body knowledge and being aware of things that didn't quite fit into, you know, a school, conventional school environment or, you know, things like that. You know, what, what did you learn about yourself that you're, you're kind of living out now or understanding about what works for you or what is part of maybe like a core sense of your identity? Well, I feel like I definitely always held pieces of like listening to that as I was growing up. But again, it was just kind of compounded in in the fact that like maybe I didn't know best or, mm-hmm. you know, maybe also this whole thing of like, you know, of imagining pain or, or experiences like that, or like people saying that to, to someone that they aren't necessarily actually aware of what's going on in their body. And I feel like there were certain times when I really pushed that away because maybe it was too difficult to try to take it apart without the resources around me. Not to say that there weren't, you know, there are, there are people and and aspects of my life, but just thinking as, as a young person, how I really tried to push those away and um, kind of be this like producer to go out and just kind of, not that I ever wanted to, or never, ever, I could never succeed in fitting in, in the molds that were like put forth. But I also at the same time, you know, tried to do my best with, with the body that, you know, just like, Oh, well, I should just ignore what was going on. And Mm -hmm. I think it was, you know, later in my late teens that I was like really dealing with chronic illness that I was like, wait a minute, I have like exhausted these other resources. This is not something that's going away that I was able to really kind of look at it in a different way. And, and for me, that was a moment of reconnecting it with, again, my, my connection, my connection to like farming and being in, in nature and learning so much from other, other beings that I was able to really kind of move away from uh, the different kind of allopathic molds that I see a lot of value in them. And I, and I use them in many ways in my life, but in those, in that sense where I wasn't being heard, and that was a really kind of changing moment for me to start working more with plants. And then, I don't know, I feel like, you know, as, as life unfolds, then it's like when, when I do this again, when I go through another like cycle or a spiral or, you know, these different moments um, or different events that are really big teachers, uh, I feel like, again, I can reflect and really start to learn more about how those were influences to my body in, in connection and like, and reconnecting with it as well. Cause I feel like often as a young person, I would just turn it off cause it was easier. If I didn't have the resources, I could probably find solace in like, you know, in, in other aspects of my life, but as like thinking it out consciously. No, that makes a lot of sense. I guess, I mean, there's so much that, that you just said I want to kind of dig into, but I guess one of the more burning questions for me in, in part, you know, because I, I have known, and I think a lot of people have known um, many people who have experienced Lyme. And one thing I'm always curious about is how how do you, as a person who's you know deeply connected to the earth and to the natural world and in all of these ways, how do you kind of reconcile or understand the the way in which Lyme disease kind of came into your life from, from that world. You know what I mean? Like how, how does that make sense? Like how do you spend time outside in, in spaces where you could maybe be infected again? Or I'm just curious how you relate to that. Um, I love that you asked that. It's not something necessarily, I was talking to someone the other day about this. Um, you know, it might kind of, it sounds silly, but just like the different steps of what I do where I grew up is near Cape Cod area. 
walking there now it's like in some like the fields for instance you could be covered in like 100 ticks within 30 seconds um it's happened to my children before all of a sudden I'm like taking their clothes off on a path because they're like all over their body so where I live now feels like a respite from that because when I first moved here 12 years ago I could like lie in the fields, go in the woods, and I would never get even one tick on me. Um, but of course, that that is changing. And so there is like, parts of me where I'm like, you know, so I'm, oh, I'm so upset that now I, that's something that I have to navigate when I go out in the woods. Um, I felt really lucky to have these like years where I that wasn't a factor. Yeah. Um, but again, as someone that works like within Lyme with my own body and then Lyme, like with other people as well and like in their Lyme journeys um, is knowing that it is so prevalent in so many places for people. And so often what I've, when I work with, when I've worked with myself and I've worked with other people, because I've been bit since and, and gotten Lyme disease again, is Often when I'm looking at it from this point of view, I can, I can just speak about my own journey um, and this reflects onto what, what I've worked with other people as well. But when I'm doing, working with my own journey on, on Lyme disease, I often think about it from like moving away from like, I have to get this out of me or I can't have ticks on me and this really kind of yeah. reactive thing. Yeah try to shift my body and my thoughts into a sort of like protection and nourishing and awareness as well. So um, that's this where I was saying it might sound silly, but when I walk out in the woods or the field, I just ask myself to be really aware if I have, if I have a tick on me, Um, not necessarily attached or not one that I can even feel, but if I, I can like feel just going out in a space, like I'm going to ask that I'm aware if a tick is on my body, I'm going to like, like place sort of my thoughts and protection around myself as well. And my kids always tease me. They're like, it's like your, your superpower, the tick superpower or something. I felt like that's been really, really helpful for how I like step into a space, how I'm still able to connect with, you know, when I'm out in the woods with all the like glorious plants that are coming up or if I were tracking or animal they're you know watching for the porcupine you know as we sit there and in, in the leaves it's like yes we most likely will get a tick climbing on us but or even now in my garden the garden used to not be a place where I get ticks but thinking of that also just like this protective space and this awareness um, around it has been really helpful for me. And I think that's also helpful in like the actual treating of Lyme disease as well. And because it becomes, it's so smart, it becomes so much a part of our bodies to kind of go into it as an, I'm not coming here to like expel something, but it's how to like work and strengthening my body and, and being aware of what is going on and why as well. Yeah. I mean, that that's, I really like the way you said that especially just thinking about back to what you talked about when you were you were younger and this idea of how important it was for you or maybe how much you longed for in some ways for people to validate the your insights about your body you know like the deep listening that you were doing around you know body discomfort or whatever the the symptoms you were having and to kind of be definitely modeling that it sounds like for your children, but also to be doing that for yourself and kind of approaching things, not as, as you said, not in a reactive way, but as sort of actually an opportunity to listen and be much more attuned to kind of the nuance of what's happening in your body at any given time. I think I can, you know, I can relate to that uh, in a different way, just having also having autoimmune issues and things happening in my body (laughs) all the time. And, you know, really relating to the initial impulse to be reactive and kind of expel or rid my body of, of whatever's happening and, and how different it is when you, you know, I mean, I think there's still a lot of grief and and difficulty with the reality of living with chronic illness or pain. But 
there's also the balance of, you know, what you end up learning and how, how much you end up, or I have ended up, you know, deepening my awareness of my own, what my body needs at any given time. Yeah. Yeah. And I like that you touched on grief as well, because I think that that is a big part of it. And I don't want to negate, you know, just because I can learn from something Mm -hmm. that I've experienced in my body that's been really difficult. It's not to negate that there is the grief that is paired with that um, as well. And, and I also, that brings up for me just another thought on that is also with like ableism and, and disability justice and being like a young person and when people are like, Oh, you know, you're always sick or this. And, and just like thinking about how so many people have to navigate these things. And, and that fits into grief for me because it's like, you know, I feel like it kind of augments that, you know, it's people having to hold that. And, and not, when it's not recognized, it's kind of more. And, and so I feel like, again, like disability justice and, um, and like deep listening to other people's experiences is really different things that I've learned from my own journey. Yeah, maybe you could say a little bit more about that. I mean, I know you've you spoke to me earlier about kind of the interwoven aspects of your your life as someone who lives with chronic illness and also, you know, I think the the disability justice aspect is really interesting in part because of the listening and in part because it it really seems to address kind of like the day-to-day reality of of your body, one's body's existence in the world and what you're navigating and what you are, you know, you as a person who's making, you know, is an herbalist and making um, plant medicine, essentially, you know, how that is addressing kind of the day-to-day life experience of someone living with chronic illness. And I, you know, you're, those aren't the only aspects of who you are, you know, you also are many other things, but I'm just curious about how you kind of balance all of those parts of self in your life now. I think that a lot of you know, why I make medicine is because of my own disabilities and chronic illness. Um, I think that's not all. I love also um, maybe something else to talk about later, but just like the the magic and that connection with plants. Um, Mm -hmm. But yeah, the other, the other big part of it is because I wanted, like it's, it was a place where I felt comfortable. I can, I can work with the land and the plants in this way. It's like, it's so loving for me to be able to do that. But like the other part is where, you know, I'm really grateful for those plants because they keep, they've kept me alive Mm -hmm. and, and thinking about how that then means like the work that I do, how I go into it through with my disabilities. And I feel like I obviously was not always that way when I first started, like it was my, that way personally for me. But when I first started, like putting my medicines out in the world within like a business model and like, and selling them, I did feel that like capitalist pressure to just kind of like blanket what we, you know, that I, I was okay. And I don't think I, I necessarily put that on there, but I remember talking to a friend once about that. It's like, you know, and, and she's a midwife um, and talking about how sometimes like we're expected to, come across as if we don't have our own physical issues or emotional yeah. issues for that matter. And I feel like, you know, it was, it was definitely an evolving process for me to say, no, this is actually why I make this medicine It's because of my own journey. And then how I've shared that with other people and how I want that to be accessible as well. Um, so and for that, that piece of like disability justice, finding its way into the work I do to, you know, survive and feed my family is, is like, I feel so nourishing to, to name that and to not, you know, hide my own journey. Cause I think that that has been, and that's really amazing. Cause when I did open up about my different chronic illnesses that, you know, a lot of people were like, I can relate and they can, you know, come in such a deeper way. 
And then the support that I can offer as well is like, it's more sincere, it's real. Um, and instead of it being like, oh, I hear these people's stories, but I'm presenting myself in this other way. So it's been this amazing journey for me in that sense to be able to like hold disability justice, you know, at the center of a lot of the work that I do with plant medicine. Yeah. I mean, I think one of the themes that keeps coming up in the interviews I've been doing is is just this idea of bringing more parts of ourselves into into conversations or into the presentation of who we are as you know a person in the world or on Instagram or wherever you know like in our queer communities to kind of come to a place where you know, we take the risk and we become more vulnerable, but in that vulnerability of, you know, naming, like, this is what I'm struggling with, or these are the things, these are the multiple, like, this is the multiplicity of who I am, that there is something, you know, there's almost like a pleasure in being able to connect with other people who are also doing the same kind of work, who are also bringing multiple parts of themselves forward. I mean, it kind of, it makes me think about, you know, really how important it it is or can be for people to be like fully understood and as much as possible and recognized in you know their their gender experience and their sexuality experience and maybe you could say a little bit about that and how you're you know how you how i wonder if maybe it, you've had a similar experience of kind of bringing more of your the fullness of who you are into your conscious awareness, I guess. I, yeah, I really see. I mean, you're making, I'm, I'm grinning right now thinking about that. <laughs> I, I think about a lot of the people I know that, you know, the different ways that they share with the world, you know, whether it's something that they're sharing um, through some, through work that they're, you know, using to support themselves or they're just sharing it because that, that's what they want to share with the world. And I'm so, you know, grateful for the different ways that people um, are integrating their like dynamic identities. Um, right. And, and I, I don't know, it feels very nurturing that people are able to do that. And I know what personally for me, it feels really good because again, it was just like, I remember at one period of my time, I'm like, okay, do I hold this there? Do I, you know, and, and it's true. Like in some areas I, like I, I lost work. I lost certain, you know, places that I was making money because of the way that I spoke about things, but also I would not ever not do that. You know, so thinking about like when people are teaching about plant medicine and making sure like as white people, as you know, if someone is white and doing that, I know from like my own thing is talking about cultural appropriation within that or other aspects of like white supremacy within um, plant medicine and, and that yeah. like medicine world. So I feel that like I'm I'm really grateful for like that expansion and that transformation that it's happening within, you know, whether it be social media or how people are able to organize in their community. So then I think it does move into that that piece as well. It's like what's being heard and what's being recognized. Yeah. And living in a rural place that is that has a lot, a lot of issues with racism or just, you know, there's a lot of racism um, and, and people who are queer are pretty like, you know, a lot, it's just like, it's living in a place where it's just sort of opening into people being able to kind of more safely express themselves in public spaces. I feel really grateful for, to be in that moment of like doing the different work that I do. Yeah, and and then thinking about like queer, thinking about queer identity within the work I do is that that was kind of what you were saying. Yeah, the, your queer identity, how you relate to gender and your sexuality, you know, all of those bringing those things kind of maybe more fully into your awareness or conversations with others or intimacies with other people. Yeah, in in a work sense, or or do you think maybe more? I mean, sure, work or community based work, or you know, within within your kind of personal chosen family, or all of that. I definitely feel that that I'm, I'm grateful. Like for the beginning part of our conversation, when we talked about like body identity as as like a young being, I feel 
kind of excited at a point in my life currently where like I am trying to work on on remembering that person and and it's exciting you know not to say there's also like there's painful moments as well but thinking about that young being and how how I wanted to interact and explore and you know connect with the world and kind of at a moment in my life where I'm like embracing that part of of my young self and kind of having fun with that expression and I'm really grateful for the ways that I now bring that into like the different aspects of my life and connection whether that be you know through work that I do and kind of being like unapologetic and showing up and like this is you know and and another thing I do uh, like on top of you know along with plant um medicine is also doing like gender awareness trainings mostly for like schools and with with youth Mm. as well as staff and just being able to kind of show up or just you know not kind of show up as myself and and being really grateful for that as well um another thing I've been thinking about a lot lately is in that I talked about a little earlier was about my gender identity being really deeply influenced by my connection to the wild world and those beings. And I feel, you know, in my own journey at times within queer community, I didn't necessarily know how to talk about that and, you know, didn't, didn't have the words or didn't maybe feel safe to kind of talk about like, well, my queer identity has to do with this, that, another thing that's not necessarily human centric. And so I feel really excited to be at this point where I'm like, oh, like that is who I am. And I'm really grateful for that and how like when I see like certain like milkweed flowers and just be, somehow I find there's like the queer identity within nature is not necessarily for me being like, oh, look at these animals and they're being queer. You know, that's pretty magical and incredible. And I love how like nature doesn't follow those binaries or like dualistic relationships. But I think for me, it's also just like this, the magic and the fabulousness that I see in in the world around me, in the natural world around me and how that makes me feel like I can unfold as who I am. And I didn't necessarily always feel as like a young person in queer community, I didn't necessarily always feel that I had the way to share that. Did you feel in part like there was a, the barrier was even, you know, within queer community that the barrier was in some ways a dualistic, like somehow finding binaries even you know even though we try not to or finding kind of more rigid categorization of how people identify is that part of what felt like a barrier yeah for sure I mean I think a lot of it was my own self and like you know as a young person lived in a place where like people couldn't pretty easily be out without being you know ridiculed and you know certain certain not beyond gender also just like the binaries within um, that expression, I think that that really influenced my influenced my ability to speak about it. And um, but yeah, I also think that that was a part and that was an aspect of it because I, you know, as a young person in queer community, I remember things like you know people talking about hair and like if someone used to have their hair like this, then they're not queer or all these different aspects. I'm like, wait a minute, what? So I am, I, and I think that that's shifting in so many ways. There's so many conversations that are being had and people doing such amazing work around really deeply examining those binaries beyond just like a gender binary. And, and I think that that might be one of the reasons people are able to, you know, as, as like young people are able to express themselves in such fabulous ways as well. And I feel that, yeah, that was definitely a factor for me and, and mm-hmm. not feeling necessarily the confidence in which to like share those those feelings about my identity. Mm-hmm. I love that idea of the the kind of looking to the natural world to be reminded of kind of the fabulous unfolding, you know, that there's this 
I wonder if there's some other examples that you can offer to people who are listening that just might resonate, I don't know, with them that have resonated with you about, about that process, like how that's reflected in the natural world. That's a good question. Oh my gosh. (laughs) Um, Well, I think there's different parts to that is, is like seeing experience beyond just like my own physical body and when I could be in a place and it doesn't necessarily have to be rural just because you know I live I live rurally but just being in a place and being able to connect with those beings and I know that that's been influential in like my healing that's been influential in a lot of my chronic illness that's been you know part of of really deeply examining what my identity is and how I communicate with the world. And I don't know, it could be really simple things. I know, and, and again, that pairs up with like grief as well and stuff is, is those moments of like, when I am thinking about my identity or grief or other, or other people as well as like, you know, as a caregiver thinking about other people and the, the people I support and through their, you know, through, through our journeys together thinking about just like taking the time to recognize like the minuscule and this is something I feel like I end up talking about a lot is like the grandiose minuscule Mm. and like that's been a, a big teacher to me is being able to like look at individual flowers or like the process of like you know the monarchs I always have like in front of the house where I live there's a lot of um, milkweed and I get to watch hundreds of monarchs, you know, on this journey of transformation. And it can be this, you know, so it's such a tiny thing, but it's so big. And I feel like really I, it could be, it could be endless in all of the, the parts of experiencing that, you know, as someone that farms as well, or I guess, and maybe not farm, <laughs> I farm, but I, but it, um, it's different. I, I, you know, crawl around in my garden and, or I'm like scooting around on my butt and, you know, able to really connect with like the hummingbirds that are coming down and really feeling like my own, you know, physical body can kind of create this like intimacy beyond, beyond my own like physical experience that it can mm-hmm. expand expand that word yeah Mm -hmm. yeah that is very queer in a lot of ways (laughs) yeah yeah I think that that's yeah there's I feel like we could talk endlessly about that because it it really is it's kind of like a a whole a, a very different paradigm for relating to the world and yeah it's very it's very queer I like it Thank you for for sharing that. It feels it sounds like it feels very intimate, but I also think it it probably will resonate with a lot of the people who are listening or be inspiring in some way to a lot of the people who are listening. I wanted to to also talk and make sure we had time to talk about parenting as a queer person rurally. <laughs> because I would love to understand how that is working out for you and mm-hmm. why you were drawn to, to kind of, to do that, to do all of those things, live rurally, be a queer per- person rurally, you know, parent as a queer person, all of the, all of those intersecting parts of yourself kind of coming together in that, in the life that you've created. Thank you. Well, yeah. <laughs> well, I think there's, oh, there's so many aspects to that with parenting. Well, with living rurally, I feel you know, sometimes torn, of course. And, you know, I, and that, and then that kind of goes into um, talking about like the land project. I am part of attempting, you know, working hard to create space for queer people and people of color to have access to intimacy with nature. So I feel that they're like, we can be here, you know, we should be able to be here and not necessarily have to live only in an urban space, even though I love so many things about urban space, I, you know, so much of my soul is fed by living rurally. And, you know, but that said, just because we should be able to be here does not make it necessarily an easy thing. And thinking about like my own identity, 
um, and my children's identities as well. At different times, my, my kids have like used no pronouns or they've used they as a pronoun. And um, currently my youngest uses no pronouns. And so, you know, just always when we go out into the world, you know, in some friendships and spaces, that is something that's held and recognized and it's so nourishing. And in other places it's not. And so it can be like, okay, we have to like prepare ourselves emotionally to be in those places. So that, that is like the, there, you know, the, the difficult pieces as well. And, you know, I'm really amazed at like how my kids go in, you know, just to think about my youngest, Mm -hmm. when, when someone genders my youngest, then the response can be like, that person doesn't know about the fact that I have no pronouns, you know? And so I'm really, you know, grateful that to see like someone in, in a point to be able to like recognize, you know, beyond that hardship of like being gendered and, and be like in this moment where like seeing beyond, beyond that. And, but I also like, there's a sadness too, because like that's a lot of strength and that can be really tiring. And, mm-hmm. um, and knowing that for my own, like my own experience as well. Yeah. And I feel that like, again, I am so grateful that you asked, asked about like my, you know, younger self, because I feel like that was, that's really influential to like how I parent and, you know, parenting is a never ending learning experience. But I, but I feel like the different things I try, I work really hard to bring is into it is like listening and all this, like being ready to learn and relearn things. And Again, I feel that like then that influences how I interact with the broader world around like queer identity and queer community, and just like looking at, at again bringing up like dualistic views and and trying to like go beyond that, so that you know I I don't know it's 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 definitely an interesting thing to like live rurally and like have to you know, there's like different resources that I have access to and then other ones that I don't. So it's, it's, you know, definitely feels like a lot as a parent to, to say like, you know, is this, when it, what is like the experience that my kids are getting? Like, how are they supported in their like extended chosen family as well? And thinking about, you know, what they're going to be able, like growing up, spending time by a river and like learning so many things about beings I don't even know about, you know, it's just so incredible what I learned from them. You know, they have those aspects that they're very lucky to have those. And then there's also the other aspects from like, yeah, I wish that, you know, there was more extended rural community for queer families so that their identities didn't always have to be in a place where they're like, all right, here we go. Defense mode. And, and so I feel like that that's a big piece there. It's taught me so much and I always wanted to be a parent. And I also think that there's a lot of like hardship within that as well. You know, one, one thing I, that comes up for me a lot is like the idea of community care. And, and again, as someone that has disabilities, um, someone who's poor and, you know, doesn't have, you know, extended family and thinking about what, you know, how resources are 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 like you know are, are the access to resources that people have and yeah. thinking about self-care as this like beautiful and important thing and it being different aspects of my life where self-care was like you know within especially like white activist circles or it was like self-care is a thing of luxury and how that is like a disabled chronically chronically ill person that was like really damaging to me And like, you know, and just on my journey, how that's expanded into community care. And so thinking about people that have, you know, a wealth of, of self-care resources can be mindful about expanding that into their community. So I think that that's something that comes up to me for me a lot as a parent um, is like where like families have access into communities or activism and different things like that and and what like thinking about that inclusion of families and queer families as well within those spaces what what is i mean in terms of what's inspiring you around or where are you kind of finding connectivity in your life 
right now around community care and, you know, people who either in your local community or, you know, people anywhere who are inspiring you to, to kind of feel connected, I guess, to a a larger, you know, as you've said before, like a, a liberatory practice in life. Yeah, I mean, locally, and I, I find inspiration both locally and like in the extended world around that. I'm really grateful for people who are like kind of like having these com- difficult conversations and like reinventing things and bringing up aspects of things. Say, I don't know, you know, there's always a lot of talk about like, well, what's going to happen when if like things fall apart in like structures in the in like the mm-hmm. capitalist structure and then it's like grateful for people who are bringing into that conversation what about people with disabilities and like beyond beyond our own you know necessarily our own experiences within like what we are able to do and so I'm really grateful for like that reinventing of and restructuring of these conversations within community care and and I'm just like being not because I feel often it's you know it's like it's easy to get stuck in this like one sort of formula and so I feel then like locally as well that's something that like we've been doing locally where I live is like thinking about what sort of resources have been available and how they're available and like really pretty much just like moving those out of the way and and coming up with our like own ways of of structures and like accountability within that so that's been really but again I think I feel like there is there is that like difficult moment as we're doing that locally around support you know there is that moment when like you know the people that are doing that are often people who are like poor um queer parents people of color people who don't have citizenship status and so again i feel like there 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 is a lot of that work that's put on without people without you know necessarily those expanded resources and and again, there's like there's creativity within it, and I am great, and that's why I am grateful to be involved in that work. Is because it's is like someone is noticing, oh, you're gonna have to bring your kids, you know, to this event or mm-hmm. meeting, and and so therefore from the get go, we're we are already structuring our way of like looking at care and and change work according to like being inclusive and aware of those different aspects and just like, and build on it, you know? Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Yeah. Well, I want to, I want to hear a little bit more about, you know, what, what specifically you're working on and how people might be able to, um, you know, support or be involved. But I I guess the last question I want to ask it, it does kind of return to um, the beginning of the conversation, but if you could think about something that, you know, someone or you could say to your younger self, what do you think that might be knowing what you know and living the life that you've lived so far? Oh, that's such a beautiful question. I think that something could be said. I also think that like listening Mm. (laughs) would be a beautiful piece to that as well. And I, and I experienced that as a parent now, or, you know, or with other kids or young people around and, and thinking that, you know, so often there's so many thoughts and, and so a big aspect would be someone listening to people's thoughts and experiences. I'd also think that, Someone saying, you know, that there is magic and that you can shape shift and that, you know, there is so much to life that unfolds upon unfolding would be something to know that, you know, beyond rigidity, that there is so much expansion um, and possibility. Mm. Yeah, I love that. Thank you for that. So let's talk a little bit about how our listeners can find out about you, what you're doing, how they can support or be involved. Um, yeah, how can they find you? Yeah, um, sure. Um, one thing I would add to what you'd, um, the answer before would also be intuition. That like, mm-hmm. 
the intuition be respected and, and like it's real um as well uh as far as where to find me um uh on instagram <laughs> um at blossoming resistance and or blossoming dot resistance um and also i have a website under the same name um and then i'm part of a land project that is called finca luna Bull, which means owl moon farm and we are working to provide land space for people of color and queer people who are wanting to in different ways like have connection with land um whether that be through farming or workshops or just being around trees and the river here and so I, yeah that's a I feel we're working you know with like all the people involved in the project we're all people who are are poor and don't have access to financial resources so you know it's slow moving in many ways but it's also really inspirational what we're being able to provide for the community around us when there's not necessarily something like this that um, is directly um, around us in this area so yeah those are the different places to kind of find the work that I'm doing and oh I'm sure there's more there's so many projects that I mean that's one thing I'm trying to work on is uh trying to do like less <laughs> um I'm a caregiver of, of, of multiple people and have been for many years and and also in the process of learning where that's been um that and things like poverty and stuff like that connected to uh, different parts of my chronic illness journey but that said yeah lots of projects always in the work and in the works and and like locally just a lot of support around people dealing with racism specifically within the school systems and I don't know people can always come and visit or um, find the work that I'm doing online great yeah, yeah we will we will put the resources out there for people to connect with you um and I really, I thank you. I feel like we could talk for much longer, but I really thank you for, for taking the time. Thank you. I'm really grateful for this project that you're creating. It's just really, it's really beautiful. I think that just to provide space for, because all of our experiences are different and you're providing a space for people to really talk about some of these like difficult, important and, and deep questions. And I think that like it will be really beautiful to see how people can relate with the different journeys. Mm, that's my hope. Yeah. I, I do hope it resonates. Um, well, thank you so much. Thank you.